I'm an interviewee on Bill Mitchell's When Dating Hurts podcast. I'm also a survivor, I'm an advocate, I'm a champion, and I'm so thankful for this incredibly helpful podcast full of experts, survivors, people sharing their stories with Bill. Bill and his family have been through so much with the effects of dating violence. Everyone should listen to this podcast and use it in their toolbox for help. Thank you. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know. And that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed and stay safe. Thank you for your support. In part two, Sharice continues to live life under Cody's thumb. His domination pushes her to the breaking point. There was no escaping him. And so finally, you just kind of, you get so exhausted. You get so exhausted with the love bombing. And, you know, he would give me flowers and write me, like, long love letters. Like, I'm sorry. You're like, maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe this guy's really nice and he really wants to date me. Something must be wrong with me. Like you say, love bombing, he's kind of bringing all the goodies and it's like, why aren't you appreciating it? Maybe you ought to get in line and basically do what he wants, surrender and do what he wants, right? Yeah. Like he would leave like love notes in my lockers and my friends were like, oh my gosh, Trace, like you're dating a senior. He's getting you all these flowers. You have it made. Like, what are you even complaining about? Interesting way to look at it. Those who don't know from the outside, it looks like Everything is perfect, and why would you push that away? Exactly. So, yeah, I just kind of kept on falling back, and it just, like, you know, fast forward to my last year in high school, and I live with him now. I'm 16 through 17. I'm, I started living with him, and I was working two jobs and trying to make ends meet. You're working two jobs, and you're and you're in high school? I am. Yeah. I was a waitress and I worked as a housekeeper until finally I landed a good job at a nursing home. I did that my last year of high school. And it was during that year I was like, I want to have the college experience. I want to go to a dorm. I want to meet new friends. I deserve this. Obviously, I was not okay with him because we lived together. I got a full scholarship to a university based on my story about my mom and just the upbringing I had and my grades. I turned it all down because that school required that I would live in a dorm for a year. Yes, first year. Oftentimes they do that. That's right. 
Yeah, and I, I was really excited, and I was even telling him, like, we can work on it, we can work through this, it's okay, like, he was not having it, he was like, you cannot live in a dorm, other men are going to get ideas, and, you know, in the end, ultimately, I should have just said, this is what I'm doing, but at that time, I was living with him, it wasn't easy to just say, well, I'm leaving by, I didn't like have support of people that were like, we're going to make this happen for you, Sharice. Like we're going to support you along the way to get out of Cody's grasp. Like it just, it wasn't there. So you're on the verge of going to college, but don't, but what is he doing at that time? So at that time he, he was actually in marketing for the local newspaper, which is, it was like a decent job. He never went to college. He didn't believe in college. So he was, yeah, he was doing marketing for a local newspaper. Everyone thought that he was just great, besides my family. But most people didn't see who he truly was, which was also just, it's so isolating and it's so hard. Well, he's not doing it to them. He's just doing it to you. So. Yes. <laughs> so you turned down, you turned down a free ride at a college, which is amazing that you did that. So in place of that, what do you do? So in place of doing that, we moved to a bigger city where I could start community college. And I just wanted to get out of our small town. The plan was always to like move to a different state. But the last moment he said, I don't want to do that because of my family, which was insane to me. So I did what he wanted. I moved to a bigger city and took some community college classes and I was working at JCPenney. I was enjoying working at JCPenney. I was finally around people my age without him there. It was like I finally had a little bit of an escape. Of course, he didn't like that. So, you know, I, I was trying to, I was building friendships and sometimes they say, hey, let's go out to lunch together. But I would always have to say, I can't because he would come on my lunch break. Like he, he would drive all the way to the mall so I couldn't have lunch with anyone else. So we'd have lunch together. And then sometimes after work, I would walk out at closing time and he would be in the parking lot waiting for me. It was just, there was no breathing room. You know, at this time I was like, this isn't right. I was talking to people at work at JCPenney and they're like, whoa, like that's, that's not normal. <laughs> it's interesting to get another perspective about that type of thing. Yeah. So I had actually really decided like I'm going to get out of this. I had made plans to meet with someone on Craigslist to look at a room they were renting out. I went over, I had to print out the directions, the map directions because Cody, he had a smartphone, but I did not have a smartphone. He didn't want me to have a smartphone. So I printed out these directions to the, a house and it was with the Craigslist posting. And I put it in my glove box because after work one day, I was going to drive over there. It was when I had a day shift. So I knew he wouldn't be in the parking lot. I did that. I met up with someone. I was going to get a room. I had a plan. I was like slowly packing things into a hidden suitcase, doing all the things that you're supposed to do. One day, he actually picked me up in my car. 
from work for some reason. I think he was one day he was like, let me drive you to work. And it's just like, okay. Like, and somehow like, I guess he like went through my whole car cause he found the directions and the Craigslist posting. Oh no. It's like, what is this? And, oh no. You know, I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> he didn't handle that very well. I imagine. No, he said it was my fault that we even moved to that city. He said, he's like, I can't, I'll have to move out of this apartment because I can't afford it on my own. And you're the one that wanted to move into this apartment. This is all your fault. So again, like I try to fight really hard, but I just, I ended up telling that person to just rent the room to someone else and mm -hmm. surrender. I stayed again. <laughs> was he ever physical with you and throughout any of this besides probably yelling at you at times, but where did it go besides like a hundred percent control of you? There was sexual abuse. He was a lot bigger than me. And I mean, he basically would just throw himself on me. Yeah. He would, he would just do what he wanted. You know, if, I said no, like, I mean, I did say no, and he would just say, I know that this is what you want, so just shut up and get over it, like, you're being dumb, so there was that, and then also there were times where I would, like, in arguments where I'd, like, try to walk out the door or something like that, and he would grab my wrist and, like, say, you're not going anywhere, and, like, just, like, he would, like, grab my wrist so tight that he would leave bruises. His favorite quote was, I, I would never hit a woman, but he did everything but, basically. Sometimes I was like, please just, like, hit me, because I feel like you already are. He didn't like anything about me, is what I feel like. Do you really feel that way? I do feel that way. I feel like any time I was my true self, he always had something to say, like, something to belittle me, like, one time I wore a dress and he was like, oh, you look like Little House on the Prairie. Like, you look so dumb. Do you think he really felt that way or do you think he was concerned that if you wore a dress that someone would get interested in you? I think it was maybe both. Yeah, he didn't trust me at all. I had a lot of guy friends growing up and he would make me delete all of their contacts. I couldn't ever talk to another male or have male friends. It was very controlling and but I don't know it I don't know if he just didn't like me or he was just he just had such a strong grasp on like if I do anything for myself then I'm gonna leave him do you think there was something in his past that drove him to be the way he was I think that whole family unfortunately was very toxic his his mom was really controlling, and I think they didn't have the greatest life, and I think it was just ingrained, like, that's how he was raised, and for a long time, I thought he was getting out of that. I thought he was, like, getting healthy and, like, being less controlling, and it just never happened. I think deep down, he wanted to be normal, but it just wasn't in his cards. I don't know. Was there a father around for him? Both of his parents were around. They were separated, but 
they were both around and they were both really toxic. His dad was not a great person. He did a lot of really bad things to another friend of mine. And it's just the whole family. I could probably go on for hours <laughs> about. What did his father do? Um, His father basically encouraged his stepdaughter to partake in cocaine and sex. And like, he just condoned all of this and he would make like alcohol shots for, for like us as teenagers. I didn't drink when I was a teenagers didn't do that. But if you wanted to, you could just go to him and you could like be doing drugs, drinking, and he would find a way for you to do whatever you wanted. And he was just kind of a sick person. To say the least. So back to you and Cody, every time you try to pull loose from this guy, it's not working. Where does this go? Yeah, so unfortunately it leads to marriage. You know, I got married to him when I was 19. I guess in the back of my head, I thought maybe he would change. That was, I was dead wrong. It just got worse. I, you know, I mean, the controlling stories go on and on. I couldn't shower alone anymore. I couldn't shave by myself. He wanted to shave my body. Go to the shower part of it. What does that scene look like? Like what's going, what's the point of you can't go in and shower? I mean, what do you think's? He wants to stand and watch. Is that what that is? You know, I wish I knew, um, to be honest with you. Or did he shower in there with you at the same time? Is yeah, that he idea? would shower in there with me. Just regular shower. But, you know, if I like came home from work and just like wanted to take a shower, um, and then he got home from work and I was already showered, he would say, did you take a shower? And I said, yeah. And he's like, I can't believe you would do that. And he was like, it's ridiculous. And I was like, I don't understand why I can't shower. He's like, well, that's our time together. Yeah, you had in your email that you would work at the nursing home and you're working hard and you could be somewhat sweaty, right? Yeah. And then you'd get home and you don't want to just sit around. So you want to go take a shower and just get cleaned up. And then he'd show up and then he'd pitch a fit about it. Did that mean you had to take a second shower, by the way? Sometimes, sometimes I would just to like appease him. I would just say like, I'll take another shower. Um, that would sometimes work, sometimes not. It was just insane. I, I've never heard of anything like that. So that happened and then I feel like it got worse. For a while I was like text messaging my mom once she got a new phone and she was like healthy again and he like screamed at me like, I can't believe you're not even looking at me. You're just texting. And I was like, I'm, I'm really, literally texting my mom about recipes or something. And he was like, it's so dumb. And he would just get so angry if I talked to anyone besides him. And he would look over and have to go through all my text messages. And there was no privacy. I, I'm an avid journaler. And he would go through my journals. I would write down my feelings. He would go in my journal and comment about how I shouldn't feel a certain way. I'm surprised you were that honest in your journal. I stopped being honest because I, in my head, like a journal was 
sacred. You don't look at someone's journal. Like that's just the worst thing you can do. Sure. Of course. I just remember probably went to the bathroom or something and was, he was left alone and he had my journal open and he's like, why did you feel this way? It's like sometimes feelings are just feelings. <laughs> now your journal had to become a version of life. You have to kind of leave out the, the bad parts, how you really, you, you couldn't write how you really felt. I would imagine you had to stop that. No, I just stopped writing, which was really sad for me because writing is, it's just like, it's who I am as a person. Um, I used to always say, like, I'm going to be a writer one day. And he really took that away from me. And I'm still, even today, trying to regain that back because I would write short stories in high school and, and like in my 20s. And he would just say, this is dumb. Like you did this wrong. This doesn't even make sense. And I'm still trying to get that confidence back that he took away. So you marry this guy. Yes. Yeah, so I marry this guy. <laughs> now your thinking has to be at that time, I'm married to this guy and maybe now he gets that obviously you're it and there's nobody else. So let's knock that off. I guess that's what's going through your mind, isn't it? That it's you and me now for real. I really did think that I was like, maybe this is going to change everything. He's going to take this a little bit more seriously and he's going to trust that it's okay for me to have friends and and whatnot. It honestly just got worse in so many different ways. You know, at one point he like would take my phone and just I didn't have like control over my phone. It was also I mean he would take it he would just take it away. Yeah, basically. Like he would hold on to it. There was a lot of financial abuse and I know you just did an episode on on that which was I mean, it was spot on. So you were the poster child for that episode? I was, yeah. To take over the finances and it's okay if you go out and make money, but I'll take care of uh, how it gets spent. Exactly. We actually had a joint bank account, and which was a big no-no, but we only had one debit card and it was in his name. And the banker, I remember we both went there when we got our joint bank account. Banker said, hey, do you want a debit card? And he answered for me. He said, no, she doesn't need a debit card. And so what he would do is he would give me cash. Like if I needed gas or needed to get lunch at work or whatever for the day, he would give me basically an allowance. And I had no card, no debit card. And then while we were married, he did not have any credit. So he took out a bunch of credit cards in my name, Walmart, just MasterCard, just every everywhere he could get a credit card because I was building mine still. He maxed all of those out. I couldn't pay because I had no debit card. And he said that he was paying. He was taking care of it. When going through the divorce, I found out that that was not true. Yeah, so we were married for a total of three years. You know, during that time, I feel like I was kind of numb. Like I was just basically going through the motions. I I was like, this is my life. This is how it's going to be. My grandmother in California, she had passed away at the end of 2015. And she was like my whole world. I loved her so much. And she was one of the people that said, like, you need to not be with this guy. This isn't right. 
I went out to California to say our goodbyes to her and it was, I just feel like something clicked and I was like, I can't, life is too short and this isn't right. You shouldn't have to feel like you're walking on eggshells. <laughs> when you went out, you say to say your last goodbyes, was she alive at that time or she had passed? She had passed away. Okay. And you said you were so close to her, but you were in Missouri. She's in California. Was she in Missouri when you were close to her or was she in California the whole time? So she was in California the whole time, but every single summer, you know, my mom would basically like ship us kids out to California, which was great because we kind of got away from the home life at in Missouri. I was close to her because I spent every summer with her and we talked on the phone quite frequently until until she passed away. So it sounds like you're out there with her in California, but on the other hand, you're back here with Cody, or was that not at the same time? Um, it, was that before Cody came along? Yeah, so it's been every summer out there before Cody came along. Okay, and then how did she know about Cody? How did she coach you on this is not right, I guess through phone calls? Through phone calls, and then also me and Cody took a trip to California. He was very disrespectful. Once we got out there, my grandmother, she's older fashioned. She said, hey, I would appreciate it if he would sleep on the couch and that you guys did not sleep in the same bed. He refused. He's like, we are sleeping together. You know, it's like, well, I'll sleep on the couch. No problem. So I just wanted to respect her. So yeah, my, my grandmother had met him once and he really disrespectful on his phone the whole time. She was like, this isn't. This isn't right. He's not even trying. So once she passed away, we were married at that time. I somehow talked him into letting my sister and I go out to her memorial by ourselves without him there. I feel like he might have had a work event. So that's why I was like able to go freely. At that time, I realized that life is really short and this isn't how love is supposed to be. This isn't what it's supposed to look like. I would rather be on my own than be in a relationship where I'm not appreciated and loved for who I am or trusted. On that trip, I came back and I said, it's over. And we had already been like, it was like everyday fighting and it still wasn't easy. Saying it's over, that that wasn't like the end of the story. He didn't necessarily agree with you. No, not at all. I just knew at I knew that time that it was over for me and that I would do anything I can for my freedom. That's really when I mean things just got really bad. When we got home, the next few weeks were really horrendous. Cuz I said I I we are getting divorced and we will figure out the apartment. We'll do everything that we need to do. But this is happening. He had sexually assaulted me like during that time. And it was the worst. I kind of just like disassociated during it and haven't really talked about it much. It was just pretty bad. And I guess so. I'm so sorry that happened. Really sorry. Thanks. And he was getting a little bit more physically abusive. Like, one thing he would do is, like, if I was sitting on the, or, like, laying on the couch, he would just, like, lay on top of me and, like, wouldn't let me move. He was 
big. He was a few hundred pounds and I couldn't move him. I, there was nothing I could do. So he like kind of trapped me that way. He did that a few times. One time I came home from work during the separation and I said, hey, like we obviously still live together. We were working through that. And um, he said, if you don't stay with me, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, he played that card too, huh? He played that card. He played like everyone that he could. And then that was really scary because I really thought he was going to do something because he did own a gun. He's like, he showed me the gun. He's like, I'm just going to kill myself if you won't be with me. You know, I finally, in the back of my head, I just, I've just felt like I, there must have been like guardian angels because I feel like I just got so much strength. And I just said, you know what? If you want to do that, like I can, I can call 911 for you and you can go to a hospital because I'm not responsible for your life. Good for you. That is brilliant. It was not easy. At all. It was also like during this time he would, you know, harass me while I was at work. Call me, text me. I'm going to make your life a living hell. Like you're never going to be able to get rid of me. It was a rough separation. How long was that separation? Oh, geez. I think it was about, it was about five months. And you were starting to say he called me every name? He called me every name in the book during our separation. He would call me like a like whore and bit like just every derogatory word you can think of he also used my greatest fear against me my greatest fear is ending up like my mom in like getting diagnosed with schizophrenia and he would say you're just like your mom like you're crazy and you need to be locked up in a house and he had threatened to he said i'm gonna check you into a psychiatric hospital because you're crazy and that was very hard (laughs) to hear because you're just hearing it all day sure and you know that type of thing can happen to people yes and he would like during this five-month period he would wake me up in the middle of the night and just get in my like he turned the light on in the middle of nowhere and he would like put his face right in my face and like scream and just be like, you're so dumb. Like, I can't believe you want to leave me. Like, he's like, you don't, no one's ever going to love you. No one will ever love you. This is the healthiest relationship you've ever been in. The irony that comes with that is uh, over the top, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I just, at that point I said, you know what? I'm fine if no one loves me. That's fine with me. I'd rather be alone than, than to be loved like this. It'll be better than this. An upgrade. Yeah. And then he finally did move in with a family member and he was like, well, I'm leaving you with all the credit cards, you you dumb bitch. And he did. They were all in my name. He took them all out in my name. There was nothing I could do. I paid all the credit cards off on my own. How much did that come to? What kind of money are we talking about? I don't think it was a ton at the time. I think, I mean, it was a lot of money. It was like probably five five grand or so. And at that time I wasn't making a ton of money. And so it was like a significant amount, but I did it. Did he ruin his credit? Is that, that was already ruined and that's why he did all this and put your name on everything. Yeah. So as soon as he turned 18, he took out like a starter credit card and just immediately didn't pay it and never did. And yeah, he just wasn't, 
he didn't make like good financial decisions. So he did that. And then, you know, part of the reason he said that I didn't have a debit card is because I wasn't making good financial choices. That wasn't true at all because I've always been an avid saver responsible with my money. So you have five months of dealing with his horror show. And so finally you sign papers and, and that's it. Once you're divorced, does he let it go? It sounds somewhat easy, but, um, you know, it, it took five months to finally let it go. Um, we signed the papers and for a while I tried to keep in, he would keep in contact and he would like kind of send gross like sexual messages. And I was like, no. And I decided that I think it was, I, I started therapy and she was like, why would you have any contact with this person? You know, in my therapy journey, I was like, yeah, why am I contacting this person? So I blocked his number. I blocked him from all social media. And just right after the divorce, I, I changed my last name to something I wanted on my own. I didn't go back to my maiden name. I moved to a new city. Did you make up a name? I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I had not heard that and I, before, and I think that is that gets an A plus. Very good. It was very powerful. It was really, it was really neat, and I, I got the name from a book I read. So, <laughs> the idea. So that's okay. That's great. After the divorce, I moved away, and you know, you think that leaving an abuser, like you think that you're free and like you can finally live life now, and it's not like that. There's triggers. There's, I'm still like, say sorry to my current partner for everything I do. I still am like, is it okay if I do this? And half the time he's just like, you're a grown woman, do whatever you want. <laughs> you don't need permission to take a shower. Yeah. And it's the aftermath was very difficult. And that's something no one talks about is after like leaving an abuser. It's just, you don't know who you are because that's been completely stripped and you have to find out who you are all over again, kind of essentially start from scratch. That is a hard process, but I feel like I've done it. I'm still, there's still triggers. There's still things that make me nervous or bring me back to that time where I just felt so trapped. I somehow made it out. Yeah, you really did. So how many years have passed now since you became divorced and maybe heard the last of him? It's been six years now. Have you had seven, let's call it six or seven years that there's been no communication back and forth? Has it just been you're on your own? Yeah, I did reach out to him four years ago. I was in therapy and I felt like there was unsaid things. And I asked my therapist what she thought about reaching out. And she didn't think it was a good idea, but I still did it and immediately regretted it. I asked him, like, why couldn't I wear makeup? And just kind of, like, went over some things. And he was just like, well, you just looked fake. And it, it, it was all the same thing. Like, he had the same thought process. He really didn't grow at all. And he was, like, dating a girl that was much younger than him. I just decided it was probably best that we just don't have any contact whatsoever. So I just went ahead and said, like, I'm I'm not going to talk to you again. 
every time there's anything, you have to then go through the past. You have to process what you just heard. You wind up, like you say, with all these triggers. You know, it'll just throw you off course for a period of time. And then you'll probably be mad at yourself because you'll say, well, why did I even do that? I should have known better. You know, exactly. how many times do I have to do that to learn the reality of this relationship will always hurt me? It'll always be a little bit of poison in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard because I, I wanted him to like apologize for everything, but he felt like there was nothing to apologize and I should be the one apologizing to him. And I just, I was like, I, this isn't helpful in any way. I just, I hope that. I'm glad that there's podcasts out there like this because I'm hoping that other teens listen and realize that if a person is saying you can't talk to someone or you can't wear something, that it's not normal. That is not normal. And it's, it's they shouldn't have to call you every five minutes either or stalk you when you're with your friends. There's just so many things. Like I said, I feel like I could go on for hours and hours because there's just so much and you know it doesn't sound like that bad but like when you're in it you just you feel like you don't even know who yourself is anymore and like you're just lost completely to someone else. I think that's a great way really great way to put it and and I think that not only have you taken us through so many of the red flags but you've also shown everyone in this conversation about what can happen after you stay, you know, if you stay in the relationship, what can happen? You know, like all the things that you wouldn't want to keep coming. They keep coming and over and over and over. It's just, it's like you've hit the jackpot of having bad things happening. You know, you pull the lever and look what comes with it. You know, all these things you wouldn't want. And what's, I find sad, but I feel better now that you're out of it. I find sad was you kind of got lost in it all. You know, you became some version of yourself just to kind of exist side by side with this stranglehold that this guy had on you. And it's just really horrible to see this wonderful young person just getting swallowed up in that world. It's a hard listen. However, the bright side of it is you're a great survivor and you're out of it. And all there is in front of you is clear skies and white space. It's wonderful now. Yeah. And that's you now, you know, you, you will find yourself, you will grow in that space. Yeah. It is exciting. I'm wrapping up college now because he didn't let me go. So I went back a little bit later in life, but I'm excited for my graduation coming up in a few months. And Oh, really? How about that? Yeah. yeah so. So what do you want to do with that education? It's a degree in project management, so I'm really hoping I can work for like a financial technical firm or something along those lines. I've been in, I've been working in finance for the past nine years, so I'm hoping that experience and that degree will land me into something that I really enjoy. I'm at a loss for words. It's just so <laughs> wonderful. You know, you're in such a great place right now. It's just everything from here is just whatever you want to make of it. Yeah. There's nothing to hold you back at all. Nothing. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's it's taken a lot to get here and my message to anyone that feels stuck is that you can get out. It's really hard, but make a plan and get a support system. And even if you don't have a support system, you can still do it. 
I think the last thing I did want to say is it did take me seven times. I feel like there were a lot of little times that I would try to leave, but it took me seven hard times where I was planning it out. And that's statistically what they what they say, and it did take yeah, sure is. a total of seven times. The national average is seven times? Yeah. You uh, didn't change the average, did you? Unfortunately, no, but... Um, no. I feel like I get, like I said, I feel like I go on and on, but I I think that's it. <laughs> it's brilliant. Sharice, it's been a, a really long journey for you. And I want you to know that you're such a powerful person waiting to be yourself and you're, and you're getting there. You know, it's, you've been at this now for a while of being you, you know, which is not a version of you that someone else created. And it's obvious you have with what you are doing now and what you're about to do, you have such an incredibly bright future. And what makes me so happy is that you are living your life. You're not living a version of your life that someone else has dictated to you, a very small version of your life that someone's dictated to you. So I hope going forward that you embrace it. I hope you write, just get your pen and whether you journal or loose leaf paper or whatever you do, just write, write about anything. And it must be nice to be back to being able to breathe normally and taking control of your life because, again, it is your life. And after what you've been through, no one's ever going to compromise you again, I feel. I mean, I, I, can, I can see you while we were having this conversation. I know people listening later on, on the, uh, in the episodes on the podcast will not be able to see you, but I can see that you're very confident at this time. So I'm I just feel so good for you. I don't feel I don't feel sorry for you anymore. Uh-huh. I did during the conversation, but I'm out of that. I feel like you are on your own and you are the one in control. You have the power. So I'm just so glad that you caught up with us and that you wanted to come on the When Dating Hurts podcast and talk about all this. So I'm just uh, so commendable. Believe me, I mean that sincerely. Well, thank you so much for having me. And this has been a really powerful experience. And I, I do look forward to the future and I'll let you know when, when I start writing again, I'll shoot you an email. <laughs> well, I hope to get that email later today. Okay. <laughs> that you're writing. Yes. I just, uh, I hope we can stay in touch. I expect we will. Please. Of course. Thank you. Thanks so much. This concludes Sharice's story. Another victim turned survivor. If you know a current victim, call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-SAFE. That's 800-799-SAFE. Call today. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com.